Welcome back to another episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. My name is Richard Davidson, and I'm joined by Ethan Huffman. Now, Ethan, I just got back from Las Vegas. I went to Summer League, and I saw a number of teams play, and the exact moment I left Summer League and decided, you know, I'm going to drive back home, the Atlanta Hawks were suiting up against the Los Angeles Clippers, and I looked up and down uh, the roster. I saw the people they were sending out for tip-off, and I only recognized Reggie Upshaw. Mm, Middle Tennessee State legend Reggie Upshaw. Beat. He's, he's ugly too. He took oh, personal attacks, Richard. How mean! He's going to be playing for your Clippers. My Clippers. That's 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 not not so nice. Pistons East. That's right. Pistons Back, West. Excuse me. Backing up Tobias Harris. Um. No, but yeah, I don't. I don't blame you for dipping out on a, a Hawks Clippers game that was not featuring Trey Young. Shea Gillers Alexander or Jerome Robinson. Um, definitely, definitely not the aesthetic you're looking for. Even even in a summer league setting, you want to see the, the 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 fun scores that are actually going to play in the league someday. Which you know, at, at that point, you were you were kind of missing out on those guys. Yeah, I mean, can I at least get Amari Spellman? I mean, please. It's right, um, national champion Amari Spellman. People exactly, forget that. exactly. But anyways, I didn't see that. But yeah. Um, but anyways, the Hawks, they're, they're the first thing we want to talk about here because uh, we're going to talk about the, some last moves that kind of finished up or finished up free agency. Obviously, there's a couple other things that can possibly happen. But essentially, this what we're going to talk about now is what basically ended most of the summer as far as free agency. And it actually happened with a trade. Jeremy Lin and uh, a future second rounder and then the rights to do a pick swap in a f- in like you know five years um for a 2020 second rounder that was the trade that sent jeremy lynn to the atlanta hawks boosting and crowding their point guard rotation that's right now jeremy lynn i think is in a unique situation when healthy i think he can play him with other point guards he's reasonably decent in the catch and shoot situation and he is a good second penetrator. I'm like I, I've talked about him before in the the offense they ran with Kimba Walker the year that the Hornets and he had a playoff matchup. And Kimba Walker paired with Jeremy Lin was very effective at probing into the Heat's interior defense. And it was kind of scary because I was he, he was flopping his head back and forth and getting a lot of fouls called that year. Um, so I, I like it. And then the, I think the second thing about this trade that makes sense to me, while maybe the uh, what you could have done with that that space could have been even greater. Uh, Jeremy Lin is one of the few people who can relate to Trey Young on a like societal impact level because Lin Sanity, while being few, several years ago and completely like it's just one of those it's one of those rare crazy things like you, you don't see you might never see again. But Trey Young had a had a similar uh, bump in publicity when he was scoring all those points for Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and I, I think if anyone can relate to what Trey Young might go through in his rookie year you know, with the expectation and then potential, like, you know, like all that negative energy is going to be sent his way. If he struggles, Jeremy Lin's been through quite a bit of that. Yeah. Um, and what was very, uh, apparent once all of these trades that we're going to discuss ended up happening is that the Hawks really wanted Jeremy Lin. Like that was, that was one of the things that they wanted to have on the roster because in my eyes, they could have done other things that would have put them in a better situation as far as future assets. But 
they decided, well, let's go ahead and take Jeremy Lin. I'm pretty sure he's there for this year and next year. Um, I mean, that mean an option. Is there an option on the, on the, on the final year? Or just I'm this pretty year? sure this year was the option. So he picked up oh, okay. his player option, and now he'll be a free agent. Okay. Okay. I'll have to look at that. But I, tr- I trust you. Um, apparently, they wanted him. Um, you know, I because they could have easily done everything that the Nets that the Nets did uh, in the trade with Denver, which which is what we're we're going to be talking about next. They could have everything that they did, but they decided you know, let's go ahead and bring in Jeremy Lin and uh, and do it that way. Get a couple of second rounders, very far in the future. But yeah, I, I don't know. I get for yeah. me, it seems to be you know, fine and okay. I just would rather have like gotten what the Nets, you know, received because now that their, their point guard rotation, like what, what in the world are you going to do with Dennis Schroeder? Yeah. I don't know. I I wonder if there's a second deal in the works include like that's including Dennis Schroeder. If they're working on something like if if Milwaukee actually had interest in him, um, like swapping him for Bledsoe, and then not only do you have Bledsoe as a person who's expiring in a year, he's someone you could then try to trade again after your your, your days go through, and he's some a team that is in some cap space problems. They would love to take on an expiring deal, and so I think there I think there might be another move to be made, but I, he doesn't seem like like obviously when you draft Trey Young, you you draft him for his upside, but clearly Dennis Schroeder's not the point guard of the future anymore in Atlanta. I just don't know where he's going to go because I, there's not a lot to love about his game. There's some things I like, but not a lot to love. Yeah. And I mean, obviously you mentioned Milwaukee as a destination just because, you know, Mike Budenholzer, that's where he went. But like, for me, I don't like my, are we sure Mike Budenholzer wants Dennis Schroeder? No, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm sure. I just, I think he would be a better fit. I think he's just, I think he's just as good at catch and shoot as as Bledsoe is. And I think he's a better type of defender for what the what the Bucks will need. Bledsoe's you know a little bit more physical and grabby, but we saw that didn't work against Terry Rozier. I would think Schroeder could handle Rozier better. Like those, I, I think he would be a, a a more of a niche defender for the Bucks than than um than Bledsoe was. I, I'm not. This is not like an upward move, but if you, if you're a team like the Bucks and are going to be in cap hell for a few years. It, it might behoove you to have someone who's actually under a, a ter- like a longer term deal to like assist you when you can't really replace Bledsoe after he leaves. I guess I. Uh, I guess we'll have to see. Um, I I just yeah. There, there's no other. If you're looking out there, there's just like a vast emptiness of places where he could go. Uh, like we we initially said, hey, it'd be a great trade move to send him to. Uh, you know, Orlando earlier on for either maybe the Biombo contract or you know something like that. But Biombo got moved, and and I don't think Timothy Mozgov's getting traded uh, a third time this summer. So uh, we'll, we probably won't see that. Anyways, so let, let's go ahead and move on past past this move and what it does, uh, and and go to the move that it opened up. It opened up Denver's ability to unload Kenneth Fareed and Darrell Arthur. Uh, to the Brooklyn Nets. Brooklyn was able to open enough, enough space with this trade um, in setting Jeremy Lin's contract out. And Brooklyn receives a top 12 protected first rounder uh, this year, which makes it more likely that it's going to convey as opposed to just lottery protected. So way, way to go Nets for fighting for it to be top 12 protected only. 
and they also get a 2020 second round pick uh, in this. And the you know Nets sent out Isaiah Whitehead to Denver, and he was subsequently waived. Yeah, um, that that's no surprise. Obviously, um, yeah. I I think the the Nets you know went out in these transactions and moves because if if Lynn comes back healthy. He cuts into your D'Angelo Russell minutes, and with him on an expiring deal this year, you really need him to show show you what he's capable of, and really to get after it and see if he can earn himself a contract. You don't want you don't you really don't want anyone getting in his way, and the same goes for Spencer Dimwitty, who's also on an expiring deal this year. So, with that in mind, I think moving on from that point guard situation was it was important. But at the same time, then, Ethan, like the very next move that the Nets did was let's go ahead and get Shabazz Napier in here. So, I mean, while they do, you know, move Jeremy Lin away from, from that, like if 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 you really wanted to, uh, you know, part the Red Sea for, for those two guys, bringing in Shabazz Napier, I feel like the Nets are just trying to bring in just people. And they know what they have. It wouldn't surprise me if they – Maybe the deadline or something. Maybe unloaded uh, one of those one of those guys. Um, probably Spencer Dinwiddie just because he is a uh, cheaper contract mm-hmm. and you know can can be a valuable. Like if someone's point guard goes down, he's a pretty easy plug and play kind of guy. I, and I so, agree with that. And so maybe maybe that's the idea. You you want to have someone ready so that when you move him, maybe you can bring in an asset down the road. Uh, just because he's a solid player and a really cheap contract, who's I don't I think his contract runs up after this year. I have to check, but well, also I think the other thing with Shabazz and I I'd honestly almost forgotten that he but we we were going to talk about him and the <laughs> fact that he signed. But if we look at how he played last year in Portland, um, he was he played alongside Damon Lord and CJ McCollum, um, both guys who are more point guard point guard sized, like a Russell and Dimwitty. Our Dimwitty and Russell are actually I think just as big, if not bigger, than Lord and McCollum. Um, so I think, I think he, uh, Shabazz would fit well next to him in like a two point guard lineup. If you have Levert slide down to the three or off the floor and the same with crab, I, I, I don't look at him as a guy who's going to eat into minutes. I think he's kind of a guy that if, if it's, Russell's not working out, you know, like he has like Kenny Atkinson's put his butt on the bench before Shabazz is the guy you can plug in and he's, you know exactly what you're going to get from him. You're going to, he's going to take some bad shots, but he's going to make some of them. So he can be a little uh, energizer bunny. I think his minutes are going to be pretty pretty fluid. They're going to change a lot from game to game based on how Russell and Dimwitty perform. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's go into – let's just continue to talk about this, this trade that happened, though, um, and look at it. Uh, the reason why the trade wanted to be made in the first place, Denver was going to be a – a tax team. They were going to be, they still might be a tax team, I think. Uh, but obviously they're not, the bill that they'll have to pay is not outrageously ridiculous. I think that they're pretty close. They may have gotten themselves under with, with this move or, or maybe one more move will get them under, but they really wanted to unload Fareed and Arthur and they do so at the expense of a top 12 protected first round pick. So let's say the Nuggets did the same thing they've done the past two seasons. It'll be a 13th or 14th overall, or if they sneak into the playoffs, uh, you know, it'll you know, be 15, 16, whatever. From their perspective, Ethan, 
does does this trade make sense to you? How do how do you feel about about this or just all of Denver and the moves that led up to this? And like, what do you think about all this stuff? Denver is a really confusing team to me because you you bring in a, a Paul Millsap, a veteran on the end of his end of the rope, and how effective he can be. Like he he was decent last year when he was healthy. Unfortunately, was not healthy a lot a lot last year. Um, you brought him in to see if it would work with him and Jokic, and then Jokic, obviously Jokic is who you build around. But you also brought back Mason Plumley, a trade mistake. Not that getting rid of Nurkic was a mistake, because he was a malcontent. But you you brought you retained the mistake, and that is what is costing you these other players that were on one year deals and expiring, going to give you some opportunities to bring in new and fresh talent. I think it's just a series of mistakes. Whether it's like taking a gamble on Paul Millsap, ideally, if you if you because you, if you know you don't want to pay the luxury tax, you can't be giving big contracts to aging players. And I think that's where they they've made these bad bad swings. I I don't hate these moves. Like I I'm of the mindset that I try to think as if I were an owner, and I'm like I don't want to pay extra money if I don't have to because my team's not that good. But this team could be really good if you just would have managed your cap a little bit better, and then you. I think there would be a little bit more willingness to dip into the tax if there wasn't $12.9 million being completely wasted on Mason Plumlee. Yeah, here's the way I look at it. A lot of these moves, if you look at them in a vacuum, aren't awful. Um, some of them are. But if you, if you look at, okay, you know, getting off of this money and, you know, just to avoid the tax, okay, that seems fine. Um, but then the reason why you had to do it, like you said, because you offered Plumlee that contract, like – the, the decisions this front office has made, if you look at it, just they look really they just kind of like disjointed. Like there, there's no real like plan for 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 what the, they're doing. And uh, I just think a lot of like a lot of this could have been avoided. If they said, you know what, uh, you know, Nurkic is a malcontent. Let's just cut him or let's just, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you the rest of your contract. Go home. Nurkic. We, we don't want to see you anymore. You can, you know. You can be an unrestricted free agent next year. Like if you do that, then they're in so much better of a situation. But also the Paul Millsap thing. Okay, it seems fine to bring him onto a team that's borderline contending, but then he totally does not fit the trajectory of the rest of your roster. And so some of these moves seem fine, but then they just seem so distorted. And when you look at all of them together, it just looks like a front office that's really mismanaged. Why do you go out and, and do these things and and you know sign your backup center to a thirteen million dollar contract? You go out and sign Paul Millsap to you know a, a really large contract, and then say you know we're 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 not going to pay the tax for one year. Yeah, like, just just we're we're not going to dip into that this year. And and the expense to do that is to move off of our first round picks, which are getting more and more valuable. Well, fortunately for them, they did bring back a first round pick in the Wilson Chandler trade. So that, yes. that can't be overlooked. Like they, they're still like they they did finesse a way to bring back more talent. But I would argue that of all the players that have moved places from this Nuggets team and been brought in, Wilson Chandler is the one that could have had the greatest impact on this team this season. You could you could argue that Trey Lyles needed more minutes at the four, so you couldn't slide Chandler down. You could also argue that Barton is going to play more three, so Chandler's losing minutes there. 
However, like if you're trying to win a championship, if you're trying to go past the first round, if you're trying to get into the playoffs, Richard, you can't be sending out impact players. And that's what Wilson Chandler was last year. He's an impact player, even in his diminishing roles. Yeah, I, I don't and, and, so, Let me riff on this, too. You signed Plumlee to the contract you did. Why? And I'll never understand this. Like, I, I am someone who believes in player development probably too much. But if, you're, if, if you believe in it at all, you would think, okay, we have, we have, we can sign Mason Plumley, or you know what we can do? We can just reallocate our training resources to get Kenny Farid in in backup center shape and backup center minutes quality, where he can come out and defend at a high level and play with energy. Like you can find a way to finesse these things. You don't have to throw money at worthless players. It's it's what frustrates me the most. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Ethan, I you mentioned earlier how the. Um, Nuggets received a future first rounder from them. I don't see that. What I see is uh, they traded Wilson Chandler and a few, they traded a future second round pick uh, to Philadelphia in exchange for cash considerations. So cash considerations making another appearance. Uh, Man, I I feel dumb, but I thought I saw that, but perhaps I was just thinking logically. Yeah. yeah, That's what what should have happened. Yeah. This is an impact player, impact player who's being you know traded literally just to, to move off of money and you're actually giving a future second rounder to make it happen so, so, so again some of these moves are being done at the expense of their future situ- you know their future situation these future assets are being moved so that we don't have to pay the luxury tax this year yeah and i guess just the thing like if i'm i got i think the nuggets are one of the rare situations that i would as an owner, go into luxury tax because we're a building team. Um, you know, a lot of times I'll say, "Yeah, no, like Heat, don't go into it. Pistons, don't go into it. There's nothing. There's nothing for you out there." But the Nuggets, they have so much promise with Jokic as a blossoming superstar, and I, I am a little like, just oh, man, this is it's just unfortunate that they uh, they're kind of shedding a team that could be really fun to watch. I'm gonna have a little pushback on on your on your comment just just to stir the pot a little bit. Um, if uh, obviously this is all being said, it's not my money, but at the same time, I think owners are, are let off the hook a little too much. In uh, in this Denver situation, just speaks to that. I'm not saying that teams should go out and you know with no purpose. Let's go ahead and like. For example, the Pistons went out and signed Zaza Pachulia, and it, it actually helped their tax situation. Uh, it put pushed them further away from the tax line, and that was fine. And I'm not advocating and saying, you know what, they should have paid Zaza more so that they can go into the tax for no good reason, right? Like, what I'm saying is, these owners, the trades and, and signings and things, you know, and, and like the cost-cutting things that they do to not have to pay the tax like it's it's all like the tax is there just to convince the fans that the owner has to do this honestly all all the taxes is it's making the owner pay a little bit more for probably what theoretically should be a better team and it's these types of moves that are made where you are unloading future assets that really kind of get get me a little bit worked up because I, in my opinion, owners shouldn't like if, if that's what you're going to do, so that you can shirk the luxury tax, you shouldn't be the owner. 
because you're actively taking away like i get if you don't want to in free agency spend into the luxury tax and stuff like that's fine to me but if you have to make these types of trades like what you're doing as an owner is is you're just i i, I just think that what they're doing is messed up and a lot of times owners get a whole lot of the benefit of the doubt uh in some of these situations and i think they shouldn't All right i think future assets should be used as their intended purpose a future asset for the team they're on or to increase flexibility in an upcoming off season so like like for example, with the Heat, if they were to be able to move off of a Hassan Whiteside contract for for with a future asset, I think that would be deemed acceptable because they already have two centers on the roster. They're not really actively making the team worse. Mm-hmm. They're more or less looking to reallocate those funds. I, I do see what you're saying. Like I don't think you should um, take talent away from a team that is competing, like to avoid the luxury tax. Yeah. But, like, I'm not. I'm not out here advocating that the Pistons should use their trade exception to make the team better to pay that punitive tax. Um, oh, let me. I'm. I'm about it. L- I mean, let's <laughs> use it. Let, let like let's use it because at at this point, here's 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 my argument. Let's let's use the Pistons as an example here. Uh, the Pistons have no active way of getting better uh, over the course of the next three seasons or two seasons. I guess as long as Reggie Jackson is on the books, we have no active way of getting better other than dipping into the tax or striking gold somehow with a first round pick because we have no more second round picks so like there's a limited avenue for us getting better right now the pistons currently have a seven million dollar uh trade exception if we have a few other smaller ones as well but a seven million one from the from the trade that included a boban that that seven million dollars boban has this year we, we got a trade exception through it we're deciding, you know, not to use not to use it this year. And obviously that's up to Tom Gores and, and whatever, but like we there there is there are people that we could go out and get, but we have said, you know, we're not gonna pay more than luxury tax. And so uh we're just gonna go ahead and this is gonna be our team, and we'll probably get maybe the sixth seed or something in, in the Eastern conference. And, and that'll be that. Yeah. I think my biggest thing is like, if I'm again, I, I'm trying, I I'm looking at as, as if I'm trying to get hired by a team and how I would pitch my myself to a situation. Oh yeah. And you know, like if I'm in, in a job interview with the Pistons, I don't think the way to land the job is be like, all right, we're going to use that trade exception to trade for Wayne Ellington into that exception. Oh no. And that's good. Like, yeah. See, like, I think that's the thing is like, yeah, we're not like, I get it. It's the in the spirit of competition should always be get better and be better, but I don't think there's any move out there minus a team making a tragic mistake that's going to put the Pistons better than the Sixers or Celtics, and probably not the Raptors unless the Raptors make a bad mistake. Maybe the Raptors are the tragic mistake waiting to happen that can help the Pistons. Who knows? Yeah, yeah there you go. Maybe we can uh, be a, the third team to facilitate a Kawhi trade. Oh man, that'd be cool. That'd be cool to have Kawhi in Toronto because I, I don't I don't quite get those rumors though. Like, and, and, this is kind of an aside from what we're talking about, but like, who cares? Let's roll with it. Like the off season. What in the world could the Raptors offer? I mean, this has to this the fact that the Raptors are the leading team in like Vegas's uh, you know rankings of who's most likely to get Kawhi. Like, just show like this either has to show you how little has actually been offered for him. 
that the Raptors are coming to the forefront because what assets could the Raptors legitimately well, offer that you as a Spurs fan would be excited about? I think this is what it comes to. And the Spurs fans probably not are not the ones who be excited. But if you're if you're Popovich and the Kawhi thing's not working out and you just had a team that was still a competitive team for an entire regular season solely around LaMarcus Aldridge. You're telling me that if you threw a DeMar DeRozan on that team, that doesn't elevate them quite a bit. Or if it was a Kyle Lowry on that team, that doesn't elevate them quite a bit. I think that's the, the thing that people are seeing here is you can get yourself an established star. He might not be a super-duper star. He might not be the guy who's going to help you against the Warriors. But if you're Popovich and you believe in finessing wins, which he does, all the time with subpar players and athletes. And if you're going to do a zag to all the, the three, the three point barrage, if you got a DeMar DeRozan, LaMarcus Aldridge, you own the mid range. And maybe that's not the best real estate to be on, <laughs> but you know what? Uh, maybe the, maybe the property value goes up before too awful. Long. I was, like, yeah, I, I just can't imagine like I, the, the rumored trade that's been on like that Philadelphia has kind of put out there has basically been what we've said here on the Hero Ball podcast, minus Markel Fultz. Like, they're not willing to put Markel Fultz out there yet, but it's going to be like a Covington, um, and it could even be uh, uh, Wilson Chandler because they got him into cap space. They can immediately move him out. You know, one of those guys, it could be, you know, depending on what the Spurs want, if they want more cap cap space sooner or whether they, they'd like Covington. Uh, Dario Saric is, uh, you know, the big player there that – you know, basically the the best youngest player that they're willing to offer, and maybe maybe you, you sprinkle in a Jonah Bolden and a, a future first round pick of some capacity, but like that's like I would rather take that just platter of meh than than go to the Raptors and and take that on personally, just because if, if I'm getting uh, Lowry or DeRozan, if I'm the Spurs, I'm getting them on the on the decline of their career when I, when I have a couple of young guards already in Lonnie Walker and Deontay Murray that are, you know, much younger, like I just would rather, rather do something like that. Unless you're getting OG Ananobi um, uh, and uh, Jakob Pertle and future first rounders. That's, that's the trade I was looking at. I was looking at DeRozan, Pertle, Ananobi and a first for Kawhi and Danny Green. If you're getting Ananobi, then fine. Um, like that's a that's a trade I think that is like possible is Kawhi and Danny Green both like win now type player moves for the Raptors they go they go to Toronto to play with Lowry Ibaka and Valanciunas and you still have your I mean it's not I, I, I know I know I just, I just, I, I just find it, find it funny that you know, they're still paying you're going to be paying for a little bit you know Valanciunas and um, Ibaka. I don't. I'm not mad at Valanciunas. I think he's totally no, fine, fine for what he's doing. But I, that, Ibaka, we don't don't get me started, please. Those two together. Anyways, continue. Yeah. Anyway, and then if the Spurs were to get DeRozan, he could be that second guy or first guy, depending on the night Aldridge is having. You get Jakob Pertl as ideally your center that develops playing behind a Aldridge and Gasol. A lot of lot of knowledge to learn from those two. And then OG, you throw him in the Kawhi role, just that he had when the Spurs were winning championships and you have all of a sudden a a young revitalized team, not to mention Lonnie Walker can get in there and develop. He doesn't have to step, step into a a score first role because that he might have to, if the Spurs don't have Kawhi Leonard to start the season, like you're going to be putting a lot of pressure on some of these younger guys to, 
to move up if if Kawhi is not going to be playing. I think you know if you add on DeRozan, I think he's a guy who can basically find his own game anywhere you throw him, especially with the Spurs who have a, pr- a pretty good history of put integrating people into systems. I think that's actually not a bad trade for both teams. It's the risk the Raptors need to take if they want to be a competitive team. This would be a type of trade Shai Missouri has to make. I said I think I definitely butchered his name right there, uh, yes. but. It's a kind of trade he needs to make if he wants to keep Toronto relevant. Otherwise, Toronto's just going to slowly decay into nothing. Oh yeah, it's fair. I just don't. I just don't know why they are. You know, the the, the top bet should for. not be betting favorites. <laughs> but yes, I think that's actually a pretty fair trade, and I would be. I, I think that would make me happier for both sides. I would like to see the Raptors change it up. I would like to see the Spurs do something different if Kawhi won't come back. If Kawhi can stay back, go ahead. Stay with the Spurs and have another great 10 years or so. He's, not, be, he's not staying. Uh, he's not staying. He's not, he's staying. not All staying. Right. Well, we, were, we were talking about the Nuggets at one time, Richard. Yes. I want, we got to dip in there real quick. Let's go back to the Nuggets. Isaiah Thomas. A, a move that I actually like, okay? So I, I actually am uh, very, like, this is a good spot for him to go to. Uh, the the other team that was mentioned with Isaiah Thomas offseason was Orlando, and I was not super happy with that landing spot for him just because I I figured, well, first of all, he is the opposite of their prototype of they want length, they want size, um, and he would have just been a super tiny person who shot the ball a whole bunch. And in my eyes, halfway through the season when they stink – and are bad, they'll want to tank and he will, you know, he'll have no role anymore. They'll start giving it to, you know, people who don't matter, uh, but they went a different route. Good for them. And then Isaiah Thomas is now going to be on a team that is really trying to win now and get into the playoffs. And so I think for him, as, as long as he is, ha- it will accept a bench role. He will be an awesome player coming off the bench for the Denver Nuggets at, you know, if he, if he is healthy, he he's the perfect type of player for them to come off the bench and, and just give him a spark. Another ad for all offense, no defense right. for the Nuggets. I think the biggest and most important thing about this move is there's like no other team that is in a competitive in a competitive spirit right now that you can put in and doesn't make their defense actively worse. You know what I'm saying? Because Denver's already such a bad defense um, that you put adding another bad defender doesn't really make a difference. Whereas if he went to like a New Orleans, take the Rondo Mints, that that diminishes their defensive potential so much. Like um, I'm trying to think of other teams. If he went to San Antonio, like that's hot, super knocking down a really important piece in the front end, front end of that defense. Even though Murray can make up for it quite a bit. Um, you know, I'm trying to think Indiana could, would have no use for him, even if they wouldn't have drafted another point guard in Aaron Holiday, because, you know, that that all of a sudden that old depot has got even more stress. As what a about, I, mean, I mean, as far as like another potential fit, I mean, obviously Portland is trying to stay out of the tax, but I mean, like he wouldn't have knocked off their defense too much and he would have taken on the Shabazz Napier role. Don't bring me Isaiah Thomas. I, just, <laughs> just saying, you know. Yeah, that, that would have been an ego clash, though, and that would have been three three – ball dominant players in the kitchen whereas denver at least gary harris is a more off the ball guy yeah poor little with with seth curry so that's fine that's right seth curry's better than isaiah thomas anyway just kidding i don't actually know that but i hope so um <laughs> regardless i i agree with you there's no better fit that i see out there 
Yeah, it's a little bit disappointing for those out there who who, who you know remember with with rose colored glasses the Isaiah Thomas uh, you know run with the Celtics and in all that he did for that team and and then just to go and get a minimum payday after that contract. Um, you know, it, it's really disappointing for him uh, and other people are mad out there, but people got to recognize the uh, the lay of the land here with, with no cap space for most teams and Isaiah Thomas not 100% sure if he's healthy or not. Um, and I think that obviously next year there's going to be a whole lot more cap space out there and there's going to be teams that strike out. And if Isaiah Thomas can look competent this year and can show that he's back from from hip injury, I think that it could set himself up to get a decent payday next uh, next offseason, which I, I hope he gets. Yeah, the, the full mid-level exception. That's what he can get. That Fred Van Vliet money. Oh, man. Um, if I, I think he'd take Fred Van, Fred Van Vliet money if it was actually long-term. Yes, he would. Yes, he would. All right, on to the next one. Jabari Parker, two years, $40 million to the Bulls. Um, going home, as it were. So Jabari Parker looking to play the three in the Chicago yeah. Red. Yeah, that one's that one's an interesting fit for uh for me. When when it was when the rumors started flying that Jabari might go to the Bulls, I was I, I sent a message to you and Elkin. Uh, I don't know if you guys responded to it, you jerks, but uh, I was like, hey, uh this seems interesting, although where's the fit for him uh over there? Because he's he's legitimately a four and they got Markin and they got Wendell Carter uh, unless they're playing on playing him at the three question mark. And but then there was no response and then that's okay. But um, if Jabari Parker is playing the three, uh, luckily for them, the Chicago, they have other bigs that can shoot also. And so it, it allows, you know, it allows you to fit things there. The problem for them is on defense. It's going to be a struggle, but uh, if you're the bulls at this point, who cares? Um, you're going to be a team that has a whole lot of interesting pieces. It makes your offense at least interesting on paper. So, yeah. I, I think he will play some for. There, there's going to be probably some moments where marketing and um, Wendell Carter off the floor, and it'll be a Lopez and Jabari Parker mm-hmm. uh, 5-4 lineup. Um, they don't have any. I think the biggest thing is what what happens to Bobby Portis's minutes. Does 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 he get a super decreased role, or is he someone that the Bulls look to trade just because his role's getting edged out by the right. you know, this signing? Um, you know, you don't want him punching your new your new people in the <laughs> face. So that oh, that could be problematic. Yeah, they, I, they really don't have an established during this roster. Basically, it comes down to uh, Justin Holiday is their best option there, and then the rookie. Um, what's his name? Hutchinson. Like those yeah. are your only threes really on the roster. And Denzel Valentine. Nah, he's he's six five. <laughs> so if, if if that tall, so. and yeah, no, that's that's not that's not what you want. So, so I, which... I I look at this as he's gonna play some three, and he's gonna need to get his foot his quickness up, run a lot of cone drills. Which big from Chicago is most likely to get punched in the face by Bobby Portis? Felicio, because he's getting paid more. <laughs> he's getting paid more than oh than Bobby Porter. Forgot about Felicio. Oh man, they yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. Omar Omar Arshik and Felicio. Oh my goodness, just, forgot just about him. Out. Too. 
They're just they, hanging out. They have so many bigs over there. My goodness. Just it's cash and checks that no one should have ever wrote. They have almost as many bigs as the Sacramento Kings right now. My goodness. It is. It's wild times over here. Man. Uh, Jabari Parker, two years, $40 million. It seems fine to me. It, it um, At first, I don't know where I thought this. I thought that there was some sort of option in the second year, but I can't find it. Um, so maybe I was imagining that. Uh, but it seems to me like a, a decent gamble if if you're the Bulls. Um, yeah. And if you're if you're the Bulls, you're hoping he can he can um, improve on his defense. Maybe you can still try to hide him a little bit. I like Wendell Carter a lot more after watching oh, him in yeah. summer league. Like I mean, as as I should, I, mm-hmm. I, I can admit a little bit of defeat there. Like it's not like I root against these players if I tell them that they're not going to be stars. Um, but Jabari Parker. You know, he, he always just had that super thick body, and it's not, not necessarily fat. He's just always been big. And it's going to be interesting to see if he can develop into a, a, a leaner and probably more versatile offensive threat at the three because while he, he shows promise to be a shooter, it, it hasn't been there yet. Luckily, Carter and Mark can look to translate as great shooters. So hopefully that won't be a, a too too negative of a, of a feature for him. Yeah. Um, it'll be, it'll be interesting, uh, to say the least. So, uh, I'm excited for more interesting basketball teams, especially in the Eastern conference. That's right. Um, let's go ahead and, uh, move on to some, some smaller level stuff here. Uh, the Rockets got their replacement for Trevor Ariza and it is James Ennis. Um, my boy, heat culture and, and, you know, from, from, from Detroit, from this path, he, he, he got, uh, traded, uh, mid-season from the Memphis Grizzlies to Detroit, and uh, he was fine, you know, just, just okay. Uh, although him going to the Rockets, I think, will cause him to play a lot better than he did elsewhere. Uh, him being able to literally just work on, okay, your drill, James Ennis, today, go stand in the corner and shoot three-pointers. Like, that's it. That's all you're doing. And doing that, playing defense, and obviously, he's probably not going to start. Uh, although at the moment, they don't really have another startable three on their roster. But you would assume what's coming down the pike, and we'll talk about this more a little bit, but maybe a Carmelo Anthony um, fit there uh, for for Houston. And we'll talk more about whether that would be a good fit or, or potential other destinations for Carmelo Anthony. But James Ennis, for the meantime, goes there and, and kind of takes that role on and considering who all was left seems like a fine move to me. Yeah, I, I like James Ennis a lot. He he translates so and he looks to he looks the part in so many ways. He just has never uh, put it all together for extended mm-hmm. period of times. He had a nice little run with the Heat. He's shown flashes in in Memphis, and then I, I didn't watch him in Detroit to be honest. But I mean, he, he was meh. It was he, fine. Lo- he, he looks completely fine and. If I'm the Rockets, he's the perfect kind of guy to bring in. You know, he he, he looks like he could play that Mahmute role or the Ariza role to varying degrees. You need more of them, though. And I I would like to see the Rockets really just start targeting all these shooters that are young players and see if they if they'll work out. You know, like bring them up. Like I don't I don't know how the two way contracts work, but I'd just be cycling through those guys until I find one who can play ten minutes a game for me. Yeah, you can only for two way contract guys unless you sign them to a legitimate contract. Um, they can only play so many games right. in the NBA. Uh, but I'd be this, cycling through. <laughs> right, right. This is another guy. Um, 
this is another sorry this is another team that is was kind of in the same situation as the Denver situation that we talked about earlier they in order to not pay as much money in luxury tax because they could have retained both Trevor Reza and Luke Baumute if you know assuming that those players would have been willing to come back uh, you know I hadn't heard any like rumors of ill content from from any of those guys but let's say they offered 15 million or whatever the Clippers offered Luke Mamute, uh, like they could have done it, but they decided against it. And maybe, maybe there's legitimate reason for the Rockets, but it seems on the surface that it might just be to shirk the tax bill. But um, which it, with this team is absolutely foolish because they were, you know, a game away. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, they were, they were, they were super close, and just uh, Chris Paul hamstring away, honestly. But James Ennis goes there to hopefully offer some replacement, whatever. Another kind of really man move. Did, did Channing Fry not know that LeBron James went from Cleveland to Los Angeles instead of from Los Angeles to Cleveland? Why, why is he going to Cleveland right now? Uh, I, I don't know. Is Richard Jefferson on the way there? Are they going to bring back the podcast? I hope um, so. I mean, otherwise, what, what's, what's even happening? I mean, it, uh, uh, Channing Fry just chasing that bag, I guess. I know. I guess he couldn't get that offer from the Lakers. That doesn't make sense to me. Like the Lakers of all teams should like a minimum deal for Channing Fry, which would probably count for like maybe like in a Zaza Pachulia type way, count less against you in in the yeah. There's a uh, a LeBron connection. There's a Luke Walton connection because they play together in college. Like there's a lot of a lot of pieces here that like would have made sense that he just would have stuck around. If if nothing more than a t- maybe a five minutes per game guy, you know, playing ten every other game or something, like you just you you could have found a role for him. He would have been the best shooter on the Cavs by far. Or he on was the, on the uh, Lakers by far. <laughs> he was literally on the team last year. What like come on guys? What, what, I don't I I don't understand. But Lakers uh, Lakers still are are making me question everything I know about basketball because I want to believe Magic Johnson and LeBron are not terrible GMs. Well. I want to believe that. We'll have to see about that. I don't know. I don't know. But let's move on past Channing Fry. Let's actually talk about Carmelo Anthony because this is going to be something that's impending. Uh, this is the last. I, I guess there's probably two potential moves that could happen this uh, this offseason that would you know cause there to be any more uproar. One of them is Carmelo Anthony uh, being bought out. The other is if whatever the Kings decide to do with the rest of their cap space, one would think maybe a Marcus Smart. Uh, offer sheet would be on the way. And then once Clint Capella sadly takes whatever the Rockets give him, um, that will be the last. But those are the only three things that are of any interest as far as free agency goes the rest of the summer. Carmelo Anthony, he's going to get bought out now. Um, he's going to get cut. He's going to get stretched um, because the only potential thing, the way that it could have worked is with the Bulls. Like you, they, they could have done a trade with the Bulls to unload it into their cap space and giving them a lot of future assets. But the Bulls had to go the Jabari Parker route. So now there is no other route possible. They're going to cut and stretch him. And that uh, stretch will count for, I think, about $9.3 million over the next three years. And for for them, I get it. I, I understand why they don't want to do it again, Ethan. But at the same time, you are eating $9.3 million into your uh, future cap space. 
over the this year, next year, and the year after that. And I don't think that's a I don't think that's a great move. I think they should have tried a little bit harder if they really want to move off of this money to find a way to 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 do it in a trade or I don't know, trade him for people that are actually worth anything. Yeah, we were we were talking for the pod about how the Heat could try to trade for him and like you could find that nine million dollars that you're gonna be paying Melo anyway elsewhere. And I couldn't I couldn't work together anything. Plus the trade machines wonky is all get out right now. Yeah. So I, I don't trust any move I pull through it. But yeah, right now the, the market has is just is it's sunk and he's he's a completely sunk asset at this point when you don't have cap space to trade him into. And you know, you don't have teams with exception teams that want him don't have those kind of types of exceptions to do anything either. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a really dry market right now. And I I agree I think if uh, I, I mean, I'm not the the cap the capologist, so I don't know if that those nine million dollars still in the luxury tax in the next two seasons are going to be so so punitive as the one bill this year. But man, like you got, I would love to see a team that just for some reason had some want for Melo with an app like a player that, like in that nine million to probably fifteen million dollar range that could just make that trade to give the give the Thunder one more player to go up against the Warriors and Rockets with to maybe give him a chance. But so, so there's just nothing there, Richard, right now. No, I mean, theoretically, it, you the Rockets could have worked something out if with, uh, you know, with, with, with some of the contracts they have, if you wanted to facilitate a trade, a Ryan Anderson contract they've been trying to get off of forever. But the problem is the. They don't want to, the Thunder don't want to bring anything back. Like right. the whole goal of him moving off of him would be to pay less of the luxury tax, which we've talked about extensively on this podcast. But Ryan Anderson's also not doing anything for you. Uh, we, we, we mentioned again before the podcast, some of those heat players could have some impact, but what impact are they going to have? Probably not enough for it to be worth it for them um, in Oklahoma City. Here's where they're at um, this year. Uh, this year, they have currently $159 million tied up in total salary. Um, the luxury tax is right about 120, so they're about $30 million over. And for every uh, dollar you go over, it's cost, I think, $1.50. But then if you're a repeater, it's $2.50. And well, last year, they were a tax team. So this would be, that's why it becomes so punitive for them now. Here's the thing. The anticipated cap for next year is 109. So it goes up $8 million. Uh, If they were to just do nothing, they would already be in the tax for next year uh, at $132 million. And that's before they do anything with Alex Brinas and a couple of the other non-guaranteed stuff they have happening after this year uh the year after that they no longer are in the um luxury tax however by that time andre roberson is an unrestricted free agent so like they have a really bad tax situation and if they were to uh, stretch him that just adds n- an extra nine million on to whatever you know they had before it, it makes next year's go to 141 million dollars it makes the year after that uh, the 2021 season to be 126 uh, million dollars, so they're still over the cap, but it's 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 just it's just really rough for them. 
and I don't really know what to do if if you know once Carmelo opted in, it was basically you know it was over. Yep, there's no real way for this team to get better, minus trading Anthony for actual assets, which doesn't uh, do your goal of decreasing your luxury tax bill. Um, I, this is one of the few situations where getting rid of Melo probably helps your team and decreases your bill. So I guess that they got that going. Yes, well. and yeah, obviously with him being out there, he was not a positive asset for them. So that's the reason why you you just cut and stretch him. Who does he go to, Ethan? It's, it's got to be Houston, right? I, I think Houston makes the most sense because they're the team that has a role for him in terms of you know he he will get minutes. He will between him and Ennis are making up for the Ariza and Mahmoudi exits. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Green is going to play more minutes too, and I think I think he's earned that that right. Um, if I'm him, I, I mean I don't know what he's valuing anymore because obviously it's dollars. But if he does value situation, like I'm not right, I don't. I don't think the Heat should do it if it's just signing. Like part of the deal of getting a mellow would be sending out players to open up the playing time. But like if you went to a team like the Heat, like like I don't know what other teams are like on that fringe playoff status. He, if he has any value left and he can elevate your offense a hair when you're talking about a mediocre team, that's where I'd want to go if I was mellow. Try to try to prove myself on a, a team like. Take a team like the Heat, take a team like the Wizards up a notch. Like that's a, that's a fun team. Go to the Wizards, like and just all the locker room hell you can imagine. Let it happen, and like that. Tell me this wouldn't be a fun rotation between Wall, Beal, Porter, Ubre, Carmelo in those in the three through four, and then you have Howard at the five. Like that'd be a fun little team to see how long it lasts. I can only imagine. Uh, That's a dream. I hope Carmelo goes to the Wizards. He's from Maryland, by the way. He's not actually from New York. Well, he's probably going to Houston. Um, and for Mario Mori to save face and in, in you know letting a reason Richard Bob Mute go, this is probably the move that that's going to happen. Um, I think it makes them worse than last year. For, for pure purposes of entertainment. Wouldn't you like to see a Carmelo starting? Uh, the, the starting five would be amazing. John Wall, Brad Beal, Otto Porter, Carmelo, and Dwight Howard, like that. Wouldn't you ha- feel like you'd have to tune in to Game One of their season just to watch that starting lineup and see how long it goes without explosion? I like. I don't know how many like. <laughs> talking about everybody eats nobody like everyone is trying to eat each other for, for like it's going to be so many people like Dwight Howard's going to be in the post calling for the ball Carmel Anthony's going to be in the you know short corner on the same side calling for the ball uh John Wall's not going to look at him he's just going to drive try, try to do his best to drive to the rim Bradley Beal's out on the side asking for the ball like it's just going to be in auto porter should be sad in the other corner, not knowing what in the world to do, but, auto get, but getting them checks. Auto porter is going to be trying to figure out a way to go play for Georgetown. <laughs> My goodness. Um, dude, I, I think that actually in terms of like ultimate, ultimate combustibility or like if they all actually played to their potential and played like a team could be really scary. Um, that would be fun. That'd be mm-hmm. very fun. It'd be fun. There's no way that works out. Uh, let me dream Richard let me dream if that happens he's definitely not playing on that team at the end of the year there's just no way 
All right, buddy. Um, the last thing I think we need to talk about real quick is um, your summer league experience. You went um, probably a few days too late. Yeah, well, I, I just went on the wrong, literally on the wrong day, but I didn't really have a better option just as far as my schedule. I yeah, went but- I went on Constellation Day. Gotcha. Go ahead and tell us about like what you saw there, though. Any players that stood out, even if they are kind of bummish, just let, let me hear what your experience is as someone because I want to go there next year. Okay, yeah. So, uh, number one, first things first, double check to make sure that the games actually mean something if you're going. Like, if I would have gone on, you know, basically, you know, if I would have gone on any day except for the fr- except for that Friday, I would have seen uh, actual basketball being played. Uh, people wanting to to do something, wanting to you know have their players out there. I just chose the wrong day, so make sure that if you're going, you're not going when they're having their consolation uh, games taking place. Uh, when you go into the Thomas and Mac Center, uh, it was pretty cool because you can get basically there's open seating, you can sit wherever you want, and you could if you can if you're by yourself, you can squeeze all the way down to the front row if you really want to. Uh, you're if you want to get close, though, you got to be on the player's side of the court because uh, the opposite side is reserved for people with, um, uh, you know, special, you know, special tickets that allow them to, to, you know, basically kind of be by themselves. That's where, like, I saw Floyd Mayweather on the uh, on the opposite sideline on on one of those um, for one of those games. And uh, but, anyways, you can get pretty pretty close, really close to the players, um, and uh, and and see them i saw them at the end of the bench which you know was where you know bombo wearing an anti-social social club you know sweater anyways uh but if, if you go there it's it's pretty cool the thomas and mac center is definitely bigger than the than the cox pavilion which is you know down uh it's connected uh, but it's a little bit further away uh but it, it, was, it was a cool experience just being able to go there and you look across to see David Fisdale sitting courtside laughing around with, uh, with, with the rest of his front office and um, out there like watching. Let's see. Uh, was it who, who is, who is the, I don't, I want to say Jerome Robinson, but that's totally not true. Um, Mitchell Robinson. Sorry. Mitchell oh, Robinson. Yeah. My boy. He was probably yeah, he was probably the only player uh, out there who I guess it was only two it was two probably two players out there that um actually are going to be on an NBA roster. He was one of them. Um Mitchell Robinson he was pretty fun to watch, although all he literally all he did was try to chase blocks and try to get alley oops. That was it. That was all he ever did. And he was pretty good. It was fun. But yeah. that was it. All right. Well, I, I, I want to make a trip out there next year, ideally, like probably with the first few days when all the actual rookies are playing. Right. Um, and Because even like for me, I don't want to watch the Blazers play because they're sending out – they have seven guys on the roster who've already played NBA games in their career. And I'm just like, yeah, I really need to watch Caleb Swanigan out here. Mm-hmm. Zach Collins was kind of fun to watch because he, he did really well defensively yeah. anyway. Um, but no – I, I, I want to go watch that next year, and I want to see some of the rookies. I think it's going to lead to uh, exciting times out there. We'll see if I can make a trip down. Yeah, it, it was definitely fun, definitely worth it. Um, uh, I'd, I'd like to go again, um, and now knowing what I know, I think it'd be a, it, I can make it into a fun experience. It was, it was fun still. but good. Yeah. Very good. Were you by yourself? 
I was by myself. Um, yeah, I went to a teaching conference there and I, I it finished on Friday, which allowed me that, for that Friday to be the day that I went um, before I went home. But, you know, you go out there and you get to see some some people like some summer league uh, veterans. There was a center for the Phoenix Suns. I oh, forget his Jack name. Cooley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was like you know four feet wide. And uh, anyways, um, you'll see some of those guys. It was it's, it's pretty pretty fun time. Right, right. All right, buddy. Well, I think that just about does it for this podcast. Which leads us into a thing we haven't done for a little while. We haven't had a hero yeah. ball, haven't had a hero ball quote of the of the week, quote of the pod. And with all the talk about Carmelo and a big decision in his life that's coming up, whether to accept the buyout, all that kind of stuff, we're gonna go to him for the quote of the day. And he once said, "Any decision I make is the biggest decision of my life." 